Just for uh, those of you who are wondering where uh, Nick, the uh, usual uh, music leader, is, uh, his car broke down uh, again, um, so not able to make it, but uh, by God's grace, they're going to get a new car this week, so it uh, should be less of an issue uh, for them. But I just, I wonder this morning um, whether they got up, you know, you didn't have to come to church this morning, uh, I wonder if, if they woke up. But I want to ask you about yourself, uh, think about this, what happens in the morning when your alarm goes off, right? Uh, are you someone who reaches over and you just kind of hit that snooze button, right, you know, and that gives you another five minutes or so, just lying there, and then maybe you hit it again, and maybe the third time, and by that time, your brain is beginning to kind of get the fog out, and, and so you get up, or, or do you reach over and you just shut it off, and then you go back to sleep until uh, either your, your, your parent or your spouse goes, get up, lazy head, you're going to be late for work, you're going to be late for school. Right, Or maybe you happen to be one of those lucky few, like my younger daughter, who the moment the daylight breaks, it's like, poosh, and she's up and she's ready to go, boom. I mean, that's, it would be nice for that to happen. A few good people break their day without hesitation. It's like life is great in the morning. And when you finally get up, Right, whenever that is, you kind of start your day maybe uh, fresh and ready to go, or do you need to get a cup of Joe? You know, maybe uh, Jamaica, me crazy, or uh, Starbucks, or or something that you know just kind of gets you moving in the morning. Or maybe you're one of those people. Your alarm goes off at like 6 o'clock in the morning and you've got to go to work. And so you get up and, and you, you kind of make it through there, but you don't really wake up until like 10. I mean, there are some people like that that I know, right? So, uh, you know, getting up in the morning, waking up, it's not always easy. Well, the Apostle Paul is talking about waking up in this passage today. But he's not talking about physically waking up. He's talking about spiritually waking up. Too many American Christians are sound asleep in the midst of this, the recent dramatic attacks on Christianity, and we're like snoozing right through it as if, eh, no big deal. Nothing much has happened. They're hypnotized by the entertainment and the tech industries that uh, keep them so busy watching and, and scrolling and everything else that they just kind of go through their day without any real thought about the fact that they are being sucked in and moved towards eternal death. Like individuals who walk into traffic or who trip over an open grate and fall down in because they are texting. So many Christians fail to realize the grave danger of the American church right now. You know, Paul quoted an ancient hymn in Ephesians 5, 
It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The text we're studying today makes that same appeal to us to wake up. To wake up. To wake up! Wake up. In the insidious deceit of today's entertainment and education is seeping into our hearts and our minds just like carbon monoxide that seeps into your home. And as it does, you need to be warned. You need to hear that warning. Warning, carbon monoxide. No, that's not real. I pressed the button. <laughs> that's just a test. A test of not the broadcasting system, but of our carbon monoxide warning. If you don't have that, then you will sleep right through to death. God wants us to be awake. And that's the theme of our passage today. As holy sacrifices, you are to stay awake in anticipation of Christ's return. Holy sacrifices, where does that come from? It comes all the way back to chapter 12, verse 1. That we are to be sacrifices, living, holy, and acceptable unto God, pleasing unto God. Are you that kind of a sacrifice? Because if you are, then you will stay awake. You will be alert to what is going on in the community around you and in the world around you. Jesus in Revelation 3, he, he warned the church in Sardis. He said, wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die, for I have not found your work complete in the sight of my God. Is he saying that about your life? Is he saying that about this church? Are we awake? Well, he told that church that if they did not wake up, that he would take their candlestick, that he would pull their candlestick, that is their church, their church would close. And if we don't want Metropolitan Baptist Church to close, we need to hear the four warnings that I find in this passage today. And that first warning is that those who have presented your bodies as sacrifices that are living, holy, and pleasing to God, if you are that holy sacrifice, then wake up. Wake up. There is going to be time to sleep when you die. This is not the time. Jesus said, my father works, and so I work. Oh, I think it's time to wake up. Wake up. Look at verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The question is, are you a believer or are you a pretender? Pretenders will sleep. Believers 
will awake. They will heed the warning and they will act. Do you know what time it is? Yes, Michael, you can turn and you can look at that clock back there and you can see the time now. But that's not the spiritual time. What is the spiritual time? It is a time to be awake in Christ. And so I want you to notice that you need to recognize your wokeness. There's a whole discussion in our culture about being woke today. As if that is some new concept. Well, let me tell you, it's a biblical concept. Because the word woke is merely the past tense of the word wake. I woke up this morning. Well, God is saying to you and to me that we had better be woke. That we had better be awake to what is going on in our culture. As we look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. He's writing that to the church. He's saying that to the people of God. And when he's talking about drunken stupor, he is not talking about the fact that these people are drunk you know, in church or whatever. He is talking about living as if you were drunk. What is it to be drunk? To be drunk is not to be aware of what's going on around you. To be drunk is to, to be you know, out of it in terms of an understanding of, of what is happening and what can happen to you. Some Christians are mentally drunk right now. They're buying into the lies of the government, into the entertainment and the educational systems of this world, and they are feeding that into their lives. They are drinking it in. Paul says the hour has come. The hour is now to wake up. Jesus declared in Matthew 25, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He is talking about His second coming. And Paul is talking about that here in these verses. He says that the, the salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Are we woke people when it comes to spiritual things? Do we know what is happening in the world around us? Are we paying attention to what is happening? You need to recognize your wokeness, but you also need to recognize your watching well woken by the Spirit. Enemies attack when sentries doze. Thieves break in when the watchman sleeps. The U.S. and state governments took your freedoms and my freedoms because Americans were sleeping. As Christians, we can't afford that. The second coming is nearer now than it ever has been. That's not just a, a, a trite statement. It was true for the Apostle Paul at the time that he wrote this book of Romans. It is true for us today. Jesus Christ is coming back. We have people telling us all about the signs of the times and, and everything, and, and certainly there are many signs that are pointing to the fact that Christ is coming back. 
But that is not the point. That's not the biblical point. The biblical point has never been figure it out. Figure out the time of this. It has never been about that. The biblical discussion is always about God's time. God's clock. It's time to wake up. Maybe we will by the end of this service. Wake up. You see, God's time was the time prior to Christ's coming. Christ's coming. Christ's death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. The latter days, which is what we are in. And then the second coming. And in God's time, it's closer now than it was the day that Jesus ascended into heaven and the angels said he's coming back in the same way that he went. In Titus 2, the Spirit wrote that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good work. He is coming again, and we are now in the process of being prepared for that. So wake up. The devil is selling us all kinds of garbage to gullible Christians about the second coming. Oh, the planets, they're lining up. They're going to be just like it was when Jesus came, and, and, and that's the star of Bethlehem. Hogwash. That's garbage. And yet, all kinds of Christians, I got all kinds of emails and all kinds of things about, did you know, did you know, did you know? Yeah, I, I knew that that was not the star of Bethlehem. I can tell you that for sure. And yet, we buy into that. A red calf was born over in Israel. I don't know if you saw that news. The red calf was born in Israel. That means Jesus is coming back. It's, a, it's that final offering that's going to be offered. Red calves are born every day, folks. All around the globe, red calves are being born. Don't buy into this stuff. Unless you buy that book. The, the book that has the secret code. You know, that, that secret code that nobody else has figured out, but this particular author, he's got it. Buy his book and you'll have the secret code of the Bible. No, you won't. You'll be led astray like so many others. Ask Harold Camping, William Miller, and the many others through history who have led people down a wrong path. Satan uses those predictions to undermine the faith of believers. Awake. Awake to that garbage. And awake to all that's going on in the world around us. The Thessalonian church was all hung up about the second coming, just like American churches today. You know, the, the number one uh, selling genre in American Christianity Prophecy. Prophecy. Things about prophecy. Books about prophecy. Go to the Bible. Forget those books. 
they're all garbage. Well, the Thessalonians, they were all hung up about the second coming as well, confused about it. Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians to explain to us things about the second coming so that we would know more about it. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Okay? So how many of you know when the thief's going to break into your house? Do you know? Jesus said, if you knew when the thief was going to break into your house, you'd be standing there with your shotgun. <laughs> you'd be all ready for him when he came. These don't break in when you're expecting them. They break in when you're not expecting them. In other words, stop focusing your time and your efforts and your attention on when is he going to come? Have we got it figured out? Do we know all those kind of things? Stop worrying about those false prophets. And start getting busy living with the expectation that he's coming now. Oh, time to wake up. Wake up. Wake up to a spiritual wokeness by watching for Christ's return. And when you do, notice, second, that if you are a holy sacrifice, then you need to dress up. When you wake up, you had better dress up. We don't want to see you walking around in whatever it is you sleep in. Dress up. Get out of your PJs. Get out of your pajamas and get dressed for battle. Strap on your armor. Sharpen your sword, which is the Word of God. The spiritual battle that has lasted for millennia has reached an apex for Christians in America now. So wake up. Wake up and dress up. Verse 12 of our text tells us to do that. It says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, stop acting like the world is just going to go on forever and ever and ever the same. Don't you believe the Bible? Don't you believe what God has to say about the second coming of Jesus Christ? But not only that, don't you know that the American church is dying? And if we don't wake up, then our candlestick is going to be yanked out just as he warned all the churches, or five of the churches at least, in the book of Revelation. So, if you wake up, and you're going to dress up, notice that the dawn has come. You need to recognize that the dawn has come. What, what do we mean by that? Well, what we mean by that is he says there. In verse 12, he says, the night is far gone. What's he talking about? He's, he's talking about when Satan had control, when Satan was able to blind the eyes of, of the vast majority of the world. And, and only the, the message of the gospel was only to little Israel. 
But that day is over. That day is gone. The night is done. Christ has come. The gospel is gone to the whole world. The night is gone. But notice that he, he then says that the day is at hand. He doesn't say the day has arrived. He says the day is at hand. Well, what is between darkness and day? The dawn. We're living in the period of the dawn the dawning of the final kingdom of Christ, the dawning of that day when Jesus Christ will set up the eternal kingdom for His glory and His praise. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, it's a text, um, 1 Thessalonians 5 is, is a text that's very similar to what we're reading here in Romans chapter 13. And he says this in verse 4, he says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Wake up. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come into this world. He has established his kingdom. You remember the opening lines of John's gospel as he talked about that? In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Christ's light is shining into us. The light of the gospel, Paul wrote elsewhere, he says, has shined into your heart. It has penetrated the darkened spirit of sin and unrighteousness. It has thrown open the shutters of the windows of our heart so that the light of Christ can come in, letting the sun of righteousness shine into our hearts and into our lives. Listen to this glorious truth from Ephesians chapter 5. He says, For at one time you were darkness. That is, we were walking in sin. Or as he says earlier in the book of, of Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, he says uh, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, blinded to the truth of the gospel. But you at one time were darkness, but it's time to wake up. Time to wake up. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Remember? Sacrifice, living, holy, pleasing to God. Take no part in the unfruitful work of darkness, but instead expose them. We wake up and we dress up for the dawn of that new kingdom is upon us. Put on the garments of righteousness as citizens of the kingdom of God. As children of the day, dress for the glory of the Father. Stop wearing the clothes of the pigsty and put on the clothing of the Son. But you also need to notice the danger of remaining asleep. A few weeks ago, I told you that my mother used to wake us up in the morning playing the trumpet and playing that song, uh, Soldiers of Christ Rise. Uh, the first line of that song is, Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Put your armor on. 
That song echoes the Holy Spirit's call for us in this passage to put on the armor of light. In 1 Thessalonians 5 again, that Paul explains what that armor is. He, he says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? Don't be in a drunken stupor. But then he goes on. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as your helmet. Paul has talked much through the scriptures about those three things. Faith, hope, love. Faith. Faith trusts in the power of the gospel. It trusts in the power that God is at work, that God is changing hearts, that he is bringing into us the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit as we memorized from chapter 8. You have memorized it, right? In chapter 8, that same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that is at work in you, that is dwelling in you. That same Spirit is at work in us to transform us and to change us so that we dress in that armor of the light. So we need to dress up in faith and hope. What's the difference between faith and hope? Faith is about what goes on now. Hope is about the promise of the future. So we live by faith, trusting Jesus Christ day by day, trusting Him to have forgiven our sins, trusting that He is at work in us to transform and change our life. We, by faith, believe that the Bible is God's Word. By faith, we believe that God created the world. By faith, we know that what is going on in this world, God is at work, that He will not leave us. He will not forsake us if we are His children. That's living by faith. But living by hope? Hope is we know our destination. We know that God has prepared a place for us. We have that absolute assurance based upon the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead that we will be raised from the dead. He is our guarantee. And that is hope. And then love. If you've been paying any attention over the past several weeks since we got into this part of the book of Romans, that is dealing with the practical outworking of our Christian faith, you know, love. What are we supposed to love? We're supposed to love one another. And he tells us how to do that in chapter 12. He tells us how to love one another. But we're also supposed to love our enemies. And at the end of chapter 12, he told us how to love our enemies. But we're also supposed to love our neighbor. Our neighbor being anyone that God brings into contact with us anywhere in the world. To love our neighbor. But most of all, we need to wake up to love God. To love God. To love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so you need to dress up in God's armor daily because the battle is the Lord's. It is His armor we must wear 
We must cover our minds, the helmet of salvation. We must cover our minds with the helmet of salvation. But not only our minds, but the minds of our children. It's why we are encouraging you so much to do the family walk devotionals. Those devotionals that we produce five days for five days a week. And we encourage you to be doing that, meeting together as a family. You have to protect the minds of your children. You have to guide them into truth. Wake up to the dangers, because if you don't, you'll lose your children. This morning, my daughter Danielle shared with uh, the, the group that we met with during Sunday school. If just the mother takes spiritual leadership in the home, only one out of four of the children of that home will follow Christ. But if the father, if the father takes leadership in that home, 80% will stay true. Wake up. Men of God, wake up. But ladies, if your husband is not a man of God, don't worry. Because generally, the truth about that 25% is that we're not really leading our children daily devotions, teaching them the truth, showing them in how we live the wonder of God's love. A wonder of his grace. But remember also that the scripture ultimately tells us that it is God who elects, and we rest in that as well. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read, Finally be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's time to wake up and to dress up in the armor of the Lord. Your families are in danger. Are you guarding them? through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the reality of what that is. The light of dawn has come. We're in that period of time as we look for that brightness of the Christ returning. As we wait for the day to break, the dawn has come. Let us see the dangers that the dawn's light is showing us. The dark forces of evil in this nation. And be ready to stand firm against them. And when you wake up and you dress up, if you are a holy sacrifice, then clean up. Clean up. Growing up in the country, we used to make sure that each fall we cleaned the leaves away from all of what we call the outbuildings around the barns or the sheds you know, around there, because very often um, we didn't have trash pickup like we have here, so we burnt our trash. And all you would need was a wind to come along and take one spark from that trash over into those dead leaves, and you would have 
a flame that would burn up the house. We had, to, we had to clean up around all the buildings to make sure that our houses were safe, that our homes were safe. The scripture says that we have to do that ourselves. The fires of hell will use any sin in your life to torch you and your family. And so Paul says there in verse 13, he says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and, uh, and sensuality, not in quarreling in jealousy. Wake up, dress up, clean out the pig pen of your heart. My friends, you will notice your choice is whether you stink like Satan or you smell fragrant like Christ. Which is it in your life? You have that choice. If you walk in the light of the dawn, in the light of Jesus Christ, then you'll avoid falling in to the ditch on the side of the road. Get your heart and the mind out of the gutter by reading the Word of God regularly by memorizing the Word of God, by meditating upon the Word of God. It is what cleanses our minds, and therefore it cleanses our actions. Love the Lord your God by loving His Word. And that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he says, for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk worthy of the calling that you have in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about this for a moment. The Bible tells us that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us, doesn't it? He says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you could see him physically, would you walk in the places that you walk? If you could see Jesus physically next to you, would you speak in the tones of voices that you speak? If he was going arm in arm with you, would you go to the places that you go? Would you watch what you watch? We all have to ask ourselves those questions. Are we cleaning up our lives because Jesus Christ is with us? His spirit is in us. You see, we, we have that choice. The Bible says that we as Christians can quench the Holy Spirit. Let us live for the righteousness of God, in the righteousness of God, by the righteousness of God. Walking worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? Well, I've been called to be a pastor, you might say. I might say. 
But that's not the calling he's talking about here, is it? He's talking about the calling that he spoke about in Romans chapter 8, in those verses that you've memorized or are memorizing. You're working towards that, I'm sure. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the calling that Paul is talking about here when he says, walk worthy of your calling. You are called to be what? You're called to be sons of God. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided you suffer with him in order that you might be glorified with him. You have a choice. Are you going to remain in the pig pen? Constantly tripping over your feet and falling in to the sewer ditch that runs along the side of the road? Or are you going to walk with your eyes open and your heart tuned to the presence of Jesus Christ? We all need to ask that question because it's time to wake up. But you also need to recognize your corruption. You see, you're not going to choose to clean up your life if you don't realize that you've got a problem. There's a saying we have in the country, I don't know that it's a saying here in the city, but when I was growing up, that a skunk smells its own stink first. Not true. Believe me, it's not true. The smell of the skunk does not bother the skunk one little bit. It raises its tail, it sprays out, and then it walks away. Too often we don't, we don't recognize our own stink. As Christians, we walk through a grocery store and somebody gets in our way. How do we respond? We drive down the road, somebody cuts us off. How do we respond? We leave the stink behind us and we go on as if nothing happened. It's your choice. But if we don't recognize our corruption, we're not going to change. Look at what. He tells us, he says, there are three pairs of sinful actions that he discusses. He says, orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy. All right, so there's the three arenas of life, orgies and drunkenness. Uh, that, that's, that's party life. Okay? That's that's. You know, just getting involved in the the party life around us. Participating in what everyone else is. In other words, he's talking about entertainment here. Whatever form of entertainment 
that, that you participate in? Is it entertainment that models the world, or is it entertainment that models Christ? Is it good and godly, or is it ungodly? What are you participating in? That's the first thing that he's talking about here. The second thing, he says sexual immorality and sensuality. It's interesting that he uses those two terms, sexual immorality. We can kind of, you know, hopefully, most of the people in here will be able to say, well, I'm pretty good with that. But he also says sensuality. Sensuality is the desires of the flesh. And then the third one, you know, we, we might think that we're, we're pretty good. Okay, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good about entertainment. I'm pretty good about, you know, the sexual stuff. I, I'm pretty good about all that stuff. So I must, I must have it made. And then what's he say? Quarreling and jealousy. Covetousness. Envy. Wishing that we had what other people have. Quarreling. You look at the uh, at these three things, and and we've got to shake our heads. If you watch any kind of television at all, you might choose a good show, and then what comes on the commercials, and the commercials have garbage on them. A lot of them. They're filled with immorality. The news. I'm safe. I'm only going to watch the news. What do you get in the news? You get cursing, sexual innuendos, all kinds of stuff on the news. I have an email. And what pops up on the sides of the emails? All those ads. Half of the ads being for trashy things. I have a Facebook page. One of the ways I communicate with a whole lot of people. Facebook page. I scroll down and sensual items from unbelieving friends often pop up as we go along. We live in a society that is not awake. It's still slumbering. It's still sleeping in the sensuality of life. As Christians... We need to be aware. We need to be awake. We need to dress up and we need to clean up. And even if you escape all of that, the third pair of those trips us up. Quarreling and jealousy. Paul is going to turn his attention to those very issues. And this leads into that. He's he's preparing us for chapter 14, where he's actually going to deal with that issue within the church. Because it's one area where Christians fall. Argumentation and feelings of superiority or inferiority. But it's a mistake to think that that's all that a Christian has to worry about because the New Testament is filled with other lists besides these lists. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And by the way, 
Give us another four or five years, and you won't be able to read that in your Bibles because people are going to change that. They're not going to mention homosexuality in the Bible anymore because that would be offensive to some. They're already changing Bible texts and books. But here's a list. There's some very serious things there. But a lot of us could read that list and say, I think I'm pretty safe. I I think I'm okay. But God is easily concerned with what we might consider lesser sins than that. Not to God they aren't. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may not find you as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Those are just as great sins as what we found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Walk into the homes of many Christians today. Listen to the conversations between Christians in other locations. And you're likely to see and hear those very sins mentioned. The people are living it out, arguing with one another, quarreling with one another. It's time for you to clean up your hearts, to clean your tongues, to clean your thoughts towards others. But there's good news. We find it in Colossians 3. He says, in these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. In other words, there is hope. You can clean up. You can put those things away. When you recognize that these things are wrong, you can change. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you as Christ lives with you and in you. Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Are you a Christian? Then you have put off the old self. Now live in the new self, in the new life. Which brings us to our final point. If you are a holy sacrifice, then power up. Power up. You know, I could talk all day to people who are not Christians about the things that we've talked about here today, and they're not going to change. Oh, they might change a little bit here, a little bit there. I've counseled many non-Christians who have come for counseling, and I've counseled them, and I've tried to help them through, you know, issues and, and whatever. But without the power of Christ in their lives... Romans 7 tells us that they don't have the power to change. They don't have that ability to be transformed. But that transformation does not depend upon our power. Yes, you have a choice, but you have a choice because you're in Christ. Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember back there in chapter 7, the helpless slave of sin that he talked about. But those people in chapter 7 need to wake up. Wake up. Why? Because of the question that he asked at the end of chapter 7. Who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And the answer 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What an answer to our weakness. And so you need to notice and recognize God's provision of power. The provision of power that wakes you, that dresses you, and that cleanses you. And that is Jesus Christ. Echoing what we studied back in Romans 6, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians 3 he says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now you might say, well, what does that mean? That we were baptized in Christ and we put on Christ. Do you remember the questions that you were asked when you were baptized? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you've been baptized, you had to have answered that question, Yes. I've trusted in Jesus Christ. I've recognized my sin. I received new life through Christ. I put on Christ. What's the second question? Have you confessed your sins and received forgiveness for those sins? If, if I've trusted in Christ, He is my Savior and He is my Lord, then yes, my sins have been forgiven. They're forgiven the day that Jesus Christ died on that cross, and by faith I died with Him on that cross. The third question. Do you promise by the power of the Holy Spirit to live your life according to God's Word? Yes. Yes. As citizens of God's kingdom, you have received the Holy Spirit's power to live for the glory of God. By the Spirit of God, you can see clearly now the, not rain, but the haze is gone. You can see clearly. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You're no longer bound by the chains of sin. You're alive into Christ so to continue to let the lies of the world still rule over you, that's inexcusable. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, the passage we've been paralleling as we've gone through this sermon, in verses 9 and 10, here's what he says. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, when he's talking about awake or asleep here, he's not talking about it the same way that we have been talking about it in this passage. He's talking about whether you're awake, that is, whether you are living physically, or asleep, that is, you have died. Okay? So, whether you're awake, that is, whether you're living in this world, whether you are breathing, or whether you die. What is it when you die? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're never absent from the presence of Christ. He's with you. His power is actively working in you for the glory of God. And so we have the power. But you also need to recognize 
God's prevention that he calls you to in this passage. See, in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the ability to say no to temptation. We read in Ephesians 4, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. Because it's time to wake up. Wake up to all those desires that you had when you walked in the world. Paul warned Timothy, he said, flee youthful lusts. In other words, get away from the things that once tempted you. Don't return to those things. In 1 John 2, the Scripture reminds us of three ways that Satan tempts us. The same three ways all the time. Desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. The desires of the eyes, things that you see, what you're feeding into you. The eyes are the doorway to your heart. The doorway to your mind. The things that you fill your eyes with, those things are going to become the things which you think and by which you act. Clean up the eye, desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh. God has given us all kinds of physical desires. Make sure that those desires are being used in ways that please God, not just to satisfy the flesh. And then the pride of life. That was that third area. Remember the, the uh, jealousy and, and, and dissension issues where we think that we are superior, we are better. Only through Jesus Christ can we make no provision for the flesh. Paul summed all of this up in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians 4, verse 8, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What do you meditate on? What do you fill your mind with? What do you think about? Are you waking up? Are you dressing up in the armor? Are you cleaning up the areas of your life? Are you powering up in the presence and the power of Jesus Christ? If you are, then you can turn off your alarm. Oops. So you don't have to be constantly reminded to wake up. In conclusion... The Bible says to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Are you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging that, that if you judged us based upon 
what we do, what we think, how, how we act, how we speak. We would not be worthy. And yet you've called us to walk worthy of that calling that we have in Christ Jesus. We need to power up, oh God. We need the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he is the only one who is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy to receive glory, honor from you and from the world. But if we are in him, then through him we are made worthy. Worthy to stand before you and worthy to live in this world so that people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Teach us what it means to be worthy because Christ is worthy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.